0: We're going to talk about some uh, two ships, or two boats, and a World War II bomber today. I did forget, so I don't have to run back to my seat. Okay, this. I guess it goes this way. Oh, I turned it off. Help me. I I think I turned it off. Okay. (laughs) I think I'm cursed. Um, We're going to start out with a little bit of trivia. The first ship is an 1800s square rigger, or it was half a square rigger, and half a triangular sail ship. And uh, it was about the time of the Great Disappointment. I want to know, it's an easy one. There was a man, a pre-Adventist pioneer, who was a retired ship captain. Can anybody tell me who that man was? Joseph Bates. Joseph Bates, if you remember. In there, Okay. Okay, we're going to start off with the uh, Mary Celeste, but just on the Joseph, it's just a trivia question. Remember, he wanted to print a track, he didn't have the money, and uh, he was impressed to go to the post office and get the letter, a letter that was sent to him, and uh, he didn't even have the money to pay for the letter, as I remember how the story went, but... He asked the postmaster, please, I'm sure there's money in there. The Lord told me there's money in there. I can pay for it. So they opened it. And sure enough, there was just enough to print the track. (laughs) go on. But that doesn't really have much to do with the story. just, Just some trivia. Okay, This is the most famous ghost ship of all time. There's so much written about this ship. Speculation, people think because of what happened, maybe the people were abducted by aliens, piracy. None of it really makes any sense, though, when you study the facts. As you see, this ship left New York in 1872. It was going to Italy with a load of uh, barrels filled. The hull was filled with barrels of denatured alcohol, since you couldn't even get down in. The hull of the ship was totally full. Oh, let me go back. It started out as the Amazon. It was built in Canada and uh, served for like 10 years. And it was run aground in the storm and badly damaged. And then it was sold to uh, an American uh, entrepreneur who had it refitted. And then it became the Mary Celeste at that time. Uh, a brigadine is just a small brig, and a brig is a huge, the huge boats that you see in the 1800s that had those little doors on the side where the cannons came out and fired. The, the brigadines were just a smaller version, more maneuverable, and they, they worked with the bigger brigs. This was a merchant um, vessel. The captain was an extremely religious man. He hired... A crew with great reputation, but they were worthy seamen. There was no excuse for, for a, a mistake that, that could have cost the loss. But um, they weren't drunkards. People reported that they must have been drunkards and killed the captain and his family and threw them overboard. But none of these things hold up when you examine the facts. So she headed out to sea. And the next thing we know is a ship that left New York Harbor, also going to the Mediterranean, saw this ship partially sailed. Um, It was erratic in the water. The captain tried to signal it got no answer. Saw nobody on board the ship. And so he sent people over to investigate. They found out there was a lifeboat And the people, some navigational instruments and charts and papers, the only thing missing. It was very uh, very weird. There was ample food. Um, The boat was drenched. There was a lot of water in the hull of the ship. There's no way you could tell because it was tightly packed. Water had come in through the top into the cabins, soaked all of the, the whatever, the luggage and, and all the things that, that the crew would have had in their cabins, their clothes, their, their sea chests, everything was very soaked. Um, all the rigging on the boat was badly damaged. There were sails totally missing. There were broken rigging pieces, ropes, lines, I guess, to be technically correct. Sailing ships don't have ropes, they have lines, were dangling over to the side of the ship and being drug into the along with the boat. Um, the boat was not in any imminent danger of sinking. They found on the deck the bilge pump was taken apart, it's laid there, like something was wrong with it. And they had a device called a depth sounding gauge where you could hit on the hull and decide how much water was in the boat. That was there. There had been some ships that had exploded but hadn't sunk, that had been carrying denatured alcohol in the past, that when they started to leak, there was an explosion, and it blows the uh, hatches off and stuff. But to explain why the ship was totally empty, pirates can't explain it. If they would have come on, they would have taken stuff. Nothing was missing. Just the people and the lifeboat. I think it was a History Channel that I saw. They had a, a, their explanation was the ship was probably hit by a waterspout. A waterspout in the sea is a is the equivalent of a tornado on land. On land, it picks up hay bales and whatever's in its path and throws it all over and just tears stuff up. In the sea, it picks up water. So there, who knows? We don't know. But be, because of the damage to the sails and rigging. And the fact that there was so much water, that's a fairly good explanation why the people got off on the little yawl or or lifeboat. Maybe they were going to get in and try and fix something, and they thought maybe this is dangerous. They thought maybe the ship was going to sink. Possibly a line that was connected to the ship came loose, and the ship was still under partial sail, and, and they couldn't catch it. Who knows? We just know they were... Never seen again. Our next vessel is a World War II B-24 Liberator. Not the biggest bomber, but it's not outgunned. We have a couple of bigger bombers in World War II. The Boeing products, the the B-27 Flying Fortress and the B-29 Super Fortress. The thing about... The, Liber- the, the Liberators, they were built here in California, in San Diego, actually, is um, they were a very tough ship, very tough plane. You had a better chance of getting back home if you were in one of these than the other big bombers in, in our, if they were you know blown apart by uh, enemy aircraft or flak from the ground that you shoot shrapnel and, and blows them up. This was our strongest bomber. It was very hard to fly, and it was, you had to be a strong person to, to control it. But it was, it was a good bomber for its time. 1943, the captain, it was his first um, actual bombing raid. He had just come out of school. And they were in North Africa. They were, were going up to help bomb um, Naples, Italy, uh, to support the troops. Um, we know the gunners were experienced, most of them, but the captain and the second, they were not. They were they're fresh. And for this ship here, Lady Be Good, it was her very first bombing mission. She took off in fairly bad weather, and the squadron that she was supposed to go with, they lost sight of them in the fog. And so from the first, they were all by themselves. They went all the way to Italy, but it was so foggy and bad, they weren't able to drop the bombs. So we know from the radio reports that the, sh- the captain turned the, the plane around, Started back, we know he dumped all his bombs in the Mediterranean Sea as he was going back to northern Africa. Um, The last radio report is we need bearing on the airport because it was bad weather. There was a sandstorm going on at the airport in in Libya, northern Africa there. They got the heading. We we found out later that the heading was still in the... um, the control panel, whatever. I don't know the instruments and all that, but but it was still there. They flew and they flew and they flew and uh, it never landed. In World War II, we made a really bad mistake. T- t- sorry, mistake that um, we thought that our big bombers were so well um, gunned. I mean, they have the top turret that goes around with the Browning 50 caliber machine guns, the bottom turret, nose gunner, tail gunner, side gunner. They thought these things could protect themselves. But enemy aircraft the, the, just tore them up. And their, the, the, the loss of plane in life, which is catastrophic, before they fixed the problem. But it took them over a year to figure out it needs to be escorted by fighters. But the problem is, a fighter can only go half the distance that a bomber can. And so the poor bombers get into wherever enemy territory, and they're just you know, it's like sitting ducks in the sky. We lost a lot of good people in World War II in, 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 in these bombers. So let's fast forward, 17 years. Oh, they did search for it. They thought the people might have crashed in the um, Mediterranean Sea. They didn't find anything. But they were, the the, the losses were so, they moved on really quick and forgot totally about her. 17 years, BP oil, British Petroleum, is out with a geologist in an airplane and they spot this They reported this crash site. They reported this this, uh, plane back to the authorities, and and the Americans on the base said, It looks like a World War II um, bomber. And they said, No, we didn't have anybody in the Libyan desert. We didn't have any missions there in the Libyan desert. So they didn't do anything. Well, a year later, BP Oil is back again. This time they actually landed, checked it out. No, it's definitely uh, a World War II bomber. Lady Be Good still on the side. So they sent investigators there. No sign of people. Um, what had happened, they're guessing because nobody survived to tell the story. They're guessing because of, a, of what one of the crewmen had written in their log that they thought they were still over water. The plane had gone 400 miles past the airport into the middle of the Libyan desert before it started running low on fuel, and they all bailed out. Uh, one of them didn't make it because the parachute didn't open. This plane went on all by itself and landed itself. One of the engines were still running when it, when it came to a landing. Um, they didn't have artificial intelligence or AI. The plane didn't know to put down its landing gear, so it was a belly landing. But even in this shape, if the people had stayed on her, they probably all would have lived. The the tail did crack. But they speculate they probably would have lived. But they would have put the landing gear down, and the plane probably wouldn't have been damaged at all if they'd known that they were over the desert sand. This desert is not like our desert. Our desert here in, in New Mexico, Arizona, California, northern Mexico is rightly named the Living Desert, by Walt Disney back in the 60s in his films, loaded with plant life, animals, bugs, not so. This Libyan desert, the Sahara, there's nothing living, no vegetation, no ants, no, nothing. It's just a barren, dead, big, giant desert. All right. just a little of the nine crew members. It took about a year or so for them to find the trail that they had left. They had left little pieces. They were tw- the, the plane went more than 20 miles before it landed itself. The group of airmen got together and um, left little pieces of equipment to show the direction that they went and they found them after they walked, the, their, their bodies, um, after they had walked 81 miles, trying to go north. They figured they'd probably overshot the airport, we guess. And uh, two men went further on, one made it another 20 miles, and the last guy they found him, 108 miles from where they landed. But all, all perished. When the inspectors came to look at the plane, they found the survival food in the water, all intact, and reported that it was still edible. There was actually a thermos of tea. Some people say it was a thermos of coffee. I don't. It doesn't matter. But I don't know how the inspectors proved this. But they said after 17 years, the thermos of tea was still drinkable. Okay, so we'll we'll say that. The radio was in working order. If they would have stayed with the ship, they would have had supplies. They would have survived. Um, Get to my show and tell part. Next question of trivia, where did the phrase give them the whole nine yards or let them have the whole nine yards come from? Anybody? It came from World War II aviators. Um, The 50 caliber machine guns were all in good working order. I found the two that have bullet heads. I found those two still in this chain sitting on the ground. The bullet had been knocked off. This is 20 years ago. I found one of them. I I bought the the one that's brass at at a gun show for a buck just to put it in there. The primers are not hit. Somehow there was a jam in an airplane. This is authentic World War II. Um, The two shells that weren't hit are 1942. The other casings that I found in the California desert are 1943, the same same year that that, uh, the ship disappeared. Whole nine yards. When we say to somebody, give them the whole nine yards, that's give them all you got. The ammunition magazine that sits on the side of these big fifty caliber machine guns holds nine yards of a chain of ammunition. So now you know what it means to give them the whole nine yards. Okay. Now we are going to get to another boat. After preaching to the people, even, even Jesus has the right to be tired. He worked long and hard preaching in parables of the, before this story. There's how he gave parable after parable. And I think he was needing a little bit of R&R. And so he says to the disciples, let's cross over the Sea of Galilee. And the, the record states that he promptly fell asleep on a cushion And then the weather started getting rough. The tiny boat was tossed. The courage of the tiny crew was rapidly being lost. Water was coming over the side of the boat in the waves. The ship was being um, swamped. And the uh, disciples feared for their life. Um, In one of the gospel accounts, says they woke up, Jesus said, teacher, teacher, save us. In another account, it says, "Do you not care that we drowned?" <laughs> we have Jesus standing up. He rebukes the wind and says to the waves, "Peace, be still." Disciples, I mean, they were they were scared for their lives, and after seeing this, Jesus says to them, "I'm with you. Well, what were you worried about? Have you no faith?" <laughs> um, and the disciples ask a question that we will, if we go to heaven, will be answering for the rest of eternity, probably, "Who is this man who the waves?" and the wind obey him. Jesus. To kind of go on that story, this is what I get out of that story about the faith. What does all that mean? You the disciples walked with Jesus. He led them. He rebuked them at times counseled them, they had a loving relationship with their Lord and Savior. So when the storm came, Jesus said, I'm with you, what, well, where's your faith? So the challenge is, to us, um, we saw two, one boat and a plane where the best made plans of mice and men didn't uh, come to fruition, they all perished. We have the third one where the people were saved, the difference being our Lord and Savior. If you have... Faith is believing that God will do what He says He'll do, evidence that we don't see, but we trust the Lord that... If we walk with Jesus... Surrendering our hearts to Him, and we have a loving relationship with our Lord and Savior. In the storm that we are all in, we're in the great controversy. We're in a storm. We are. Uh, if if we go without Jesus, it's eternal loss, eternal death. Um, Because with our natural hearts, thinking that we know what is right, there is another um, Proverbs text that kind of says the same thing in a different way, which is uh, 30.12. And it says there is a generation, us, that is pure in its own eyes. Yet, not washed from its filthiness. Without Jesus, we don't have a chance in the storm. Not a chance. So what does it mean to walk with Jesus, to have that loving relationship? I can know this Bible, memorize from cover to cover. That won't save me. I know we're studying the Revelation and, and Daniel once a month here at this church. That's all great information, but it won't save me. The whole crux to this Christian walk and salvation is that we walk with Jesus daily, hourly, moment by moment. And here, here's, here's a God we studied earlier in the lesson. That's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I mean, there's nobody higher. We don't even understand. That's why I said that thing, who is this man who even the waves and the water obey him? We don't really know him. We know he's given us enough to trust. We have enough. We know what we will here, Here's somebody who was in heaven, who loved you and me so much that he put all that glory aside, every bit of it. He became his creation, you and me, and out of about a heart full of love to save us. That's the only thing he, he could have done, I guess. I, I don't know, but apparently that's the only thing that will save what he loves. Satan hates what Jesus loves. Satan's a roaring lion right now, out to devour anyone that he, can, that he can, to discourage. Your only safety is in a Savior who gave it all for you and loves you so much. And when you reach up and grab Jesus' hand to walk with him, you're not pulling him anywhere. He's guiding you. I'm... Um, I... Have to apologize because I am an introvert and I, um, when I run out of words, I run out of words. So we're going to have a song and I don't know exactly how this works, a closing song, and then we'll pray. So do I, oh.